from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Last week, thank you, there we go. Bud mentioned uh, the fact that um, when I was preaching and talking about obedience, that I wasn't trying to say that we were saved by obedience rather than saved by grace. And Bud was exactly right. That wasn't at all what I wanted to say. If anybody thought I said last week that Jesus Christ somehow saves us by our obedience rather than being saved by grace through faith, then I misspoke because I certainly didn't mean anything like that. Instead, what I was talking about was the fact that we sometimes, I think, in our culture, water down the kind of response that God expects when it comes to us hearing the gospel and being what he wants us to be. When I read that passage that we looked at last week about building our houses on sand as opposed to building our houses on a firm foundation, I think the point that Christ is trying to make is not that he's the firm foundation. He is the firm foundation, but I don't think that's the point he was making with that story. I think his point was we need to respond when we hear the good news of Jesus with some kind of lifestyle change. Wouldn't you think? Like, it makes sense to me that a person is going to come to Jesus and something is going to be a little bit different because they came to Christ. In fact, in many cases, of course, not just a little bit different. We need to have wholesale changes that take place in our lives because Jesus lives within us. And so we respond to what he's done with obedience to his will. Well, there was a sense in which I was saying, I think we got this wrong when I think about this parable. And lo and behold, as I look at what we're looking at today, I tend to think again that there's something that we may have a little bit mistaken and that we need to be careful about the way that we look at the parable of the sower. Now, we were having this discussion a few weeks ago in our life group. We were having this discussion a few weeks ago in our life group and, and trying to pin down exactly what the parable of the sower is all about. I mean, here's this beautiful story that Jesus tells. He, he's a little bit confusing for the disciples. They end up asking him, what is this about? And he has to explain to them. But in our life group, as we were discussing this, there were some significant differences of opinion, I would say, about what people thought this parable was about. Now, fortunately, I'm going to set us all straight this morning. I wish that was the case. Uh, Joanne Luck and Chris Bailey and I got together a week ago or so and talked about this sermon. And we were discussing, you know, where should this sermon go and what do we think this means and that kind of thing. And at the end, I think we were all looking at each other thinking, we've learned a lot in the process of this discussion. There is more here than what we thought. But also, 
we really can easily not know what it's talking about. Now, our tendency when we look at the story of the parable of the sower is to think in terms of the seed going out and falling on certain kinds of soil and the fact that we are, in fact, that can't, that some kind of soil. And so it's likely that you th- thought of yourself or have thought of yourself before when you hear the parable of the sower. You think, well, am I rocky soil? He's wondering what he might be. Rocky soil? Am I rocky soil? Am I like the, the hard-packed earth where people walk on the path and the seed doesn't go in? Am I like the thorns that grow up and choke out the word of God in my life? Or am I, in fact, good soil? And in fact, I think it's, it's common for preachers to say the point of this parable is that we have to be a certain kind of soil. And I wonder about that. I don't know if that really is the case. And so I would say a mistake is made with the parable of the sower. Our tendency is to primarily focus on ourselves as receivers of the word. And that's what we do. We hear the parable and we think, what kind of soil am I? How do I respond when the seed is planted in me? But I would say that that's not actually the primary focus, that that might be a secondary focus. And this is primarily the focus of this parable. Primarily, the parable of the sower is about the message of the kingdom of God and what happens to this message when it's told to the world. Now, what that does is it takes all of the focus off of the individual response to the word of God coming, and it puts it at a place where we have to think big picture about what exactly the kingdom of God means for us. Now, I have an argument for making my case here on why I think this is the point. Okay, Matthew 13, 10 through 11. If you've got your Bibles open, by the way, uh, please look at this. If you don't, then please open your Bibles and look at it. I think it was 7... What was it? 790? 690. Page 690 in the Pew Bibles. And... Uh, yeah, I'll just keep talking. This isn't distracting. I'll just continue like to talk. <laughs> I'm not here. He's not here. You're all turning to page 690 in your pew Bibles, obviously, Matthew 13, verses 1 and following. And when you look at verse 10 through 11, it says, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now, that's interesting. There is some kind of secret knowledge here about this parable And in fact, about the kingdom that I think Jesus is trying to clue them in about. And he makes it clear to them that they they don't get it uh, completely because these are secrets. But that a lot of people don't get it because they're not in on the inner circle and privy to the kinds of things that Jesus wants them to get. So that's one passage that I think kind of says maybe the kingdom is the issue here. But another passage, Matthew 13, 16, 17 says... Can I move over here now? Indeed. But blessed are your eyes. Now if I can stand up. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now, if the point of the parable is, be good soil when the word of God comes to you, that doesn't seem to me like much of a secret. 
If Jesus has this secret about the kingdom that he wants them to get, and they're confused, it just doesn't seem to me like that deep, dark secret is that people receive the word differently. Or that we all need to be good soil. Like that seems actually to me to be a very simple point. Be good soil. When the word comes to you and the seed is planted, be good soil. Not much of a stretch, I wouldn't think, for the disciples. So I don't know if that's really what Jesus was trying to get at. And here's more context that I think leads us in that direction. Primarily, again, this parable is about the kingdom and its impact in our world. And I want you to look at these verses just quickly in Matthew chapter 13. Look at verse 24. And somebody just read the first few words of verse 24 for me. I don't care who it is. Read it out loud, loudly so that everybody can hear. The start of verse 24. Okay. Now somebody look at verse 31 and do the same thing. Read it loud. Okay. Look at verse 44. Somebody do that. Okay, and then verse 47. Does it say something like, and the kingdom of God is like? Yeah. Each of the parables that comes in Matthew chapter 13 starts with those words. Now, the parable of the sword doesn't start with exactly those words. But I'm convinced that despite the fact that it doesn't, that the entire parable of the sower, just like the other parables, is not about you and me becoming good soil. That might be some kind of secondary purpose for telling the parable. But the real point of Jesus telling the parable is about the kingdom. That's what all those other verses say. And specifically, I think, about the impact that the kingdom is supposed to have on our world. Now, you might think, okay, well, that's... That's important, I guess, for somebody. But why is that such a big deal that the parable is telling us something other than the soil that we're supposed to be? So we ask that question. Why did Jesus himself and the apostles and other early Christians get from being willing to spread the good news of the kingdom? What did they get from spreading the good news of the kingdom? They're spreading the good news. They think the kingdom is important. What did they get for their trouble? They got persecution, punishment, hardships, and death. The kingdom of God, the message about the kingdom, goes out. And for those who preach it, there at first, it would appear, doesn't seem to be much of real value that happens. Like early on, as they start to preach, persecution comes to them. Early on, as they start to preach, there is hardship. We know how Paul catalogs all the things that happened to him in his ministry as he was preaching. As he starts to spread the good word about the kingdom. Does that sound like anything today to you? Do you ever hear about anybody who has a hard time when the gospel is shared by them with others? Is there any point in our world today in which persecution takes place 
when the gospel is shared with other people. Now, not always in our lives does it come as a hardship. There isn't intense persecution for us. But do you realize that there are people today who are being killed for the cause of Christ as they spread the word? Some of you know or may not know about the recent election in the Sudan. Peter Tut and I were talking just in the last few days about the election that is taking place in the Sudan And there's a referendum trying to make it so that the southern part of the Sudan and the northern part of the Sudan can be separated politically. And the reason for that, the main reason for that, is because there is constant persecution in the southern part of the Sudan at the hands of those who are in the north. As it turns out, those in the north are of one religious faith and those in the south are Christians, essentially. And if you know somebody in our culture, somebody who's come to Calgary, who's Sudanese, there's a good chance that they're from the South because so many of them have had to leave the Sudan and go elsewhere because of the intense persecution that they have received. Now, if I was them, it might be tempting for me at times to give up my faith. I've read stories about women who have had their arms cut off so that they can't tend to their families. I've read stories about people who have been burned alive and pain consciously inflicted on them because of their Christian faith. I've read stories about children being mutilated in the southern part of the Sudan. Well, that does seem to ring true with the persecution that people received in the first century at times because they're faith in Jesus and the things that happened to them. Persecution, punishment, hardship, death. And it makes sense to me that in that kind of context that Jesus is going to say to the church, because you're going to experience these things, you have to be ready. And you have to understand that despite what on the surface looks like a defeat is actually going to end with the triumph of God. There is, in the parable of the sower, the assurance by Christ that while the message of the kingdom may not always look promising, God's kingdom is going to flourish. Now that's important for us too. We who are not so persecuted as those in the southern part of the Sudan And the reason is this. Recently, our elders, our leadership, our church has been trying to move in the direction of talking to people more about Jesus. We would like to see growth in the kingdom here. I'd like to see more people become Christians. I would like to see the kingdom expand. I'd like to see good things happen in the lives of people through the ministry of our church. That would be fantastic, wouldn't you say? But the fact is, is that when I reflect on our history, we haven't been as good at this or as effective at this, maybe I should say, as we would like to be. There are a few individuals within the churches of Christ in the history of Western Canada who've played a significant role in expanding the kingdom and helping churches really become what God wants them to be. But aside from those few individuals, when I look at at the names of people in my own life, 
and think about our, our history and where we've been, the impact that we've had on our world has not been what I would really like it to be. And sometimes, for me, I must admit that's a little bit discouraging. You know, I, I gave my life to the ministry of the Word of God. I decided years ago that I wanted to be a preacher, that I wanted to talk to people about Jesus, and that as I communicated something to them about the Word of God, I wanted to see life and growth take place within them. I wanted to see lives changed and more people come to Jesus. I wanted churches to flourish. And I thought if I could have an impact in the kingdom of God to help somehow churches flourish, for us to just explode with excitement because of what Jesus has done, I wanted so much to be a part of that. But when I look back, quite honestly, on what's happened in the last 25 years of my own ministry, there are some good things for sure. And I could never say, well, this has been a waste or something like that. But honestly, I'd hope for more. I would really like to see the church flourish in a way that it has never flourished. I would like to see wonderful things constantly happening through the fellowship of which I was a part. Because God was so evident and so powerful and working among that group of people that it couldn't be denied that he was among us doing things, that his spirit was here working in a powerful way. I want so badly to see that happen. But when I look at the history and my own life and ministry and what I wanted to see happen, sometimes it hasn't happened the way I want it to happen. And again, there's something disturbing about that. It'd be a tragedy if I was just satisfied with the way things had gone when I think that God actually wants so much more. Now the good thing this morning is this. This parable says that there is good soil out there. One of the promises, I think, that comes in the telling of this story is that there is good soil. The story is that sometimes the seed falls on the path and people beat it down with their feet and it doesn't grow. And sometimes the seed falls among the thorns and they come up and they choke it out. Or the seed falls on rocky ground and the sun comes out and it scorches the seed and it doesn't grow up and it doesn't do what you want it to do. And sometimes in my life, in ministry, and I think for many of you with experience in the church, you look and say, this isn't all that I thought it would be in terms of the way the kingdom would progress. We recognize that there's some seed that has fallen on rocky ground. And sometimes feet do trample it down. Notice, by the way, that it's things like the worries of life that come and defeat us. The parable says, though, it's Jesus' promise about the kingdom that despite those elements of lack of success, that the seed also falls on good soil. And there's a powerful message there about God's presence, about His power, about His influence, about what He wants to do in our world. And we need to constantly have in mind 
that power and influence of God working sometimes when we can't even see it. You know, if I just looked at the evidence and I just said, well, I'm going to look at uh, the evidence here of uh, how rapidly the churches grow for which I work. How many people we baptize. The uh, apparent evidence of spiritual growth. If I was only dependent on those for my own perception of our effectiveness... I think at times I'd be a bit in trouble here. But God clearly is still behind the scenes. And his seed is clearly still going at times to good soil and something dramatic and wonderful can happen. Years ago, there was a poem written. You've heard this. You've You've heard this poem. You've seen this on a poster. Somehow this has come to you, I'm confident. I want to read this this morning because I think it's so applicable. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. Can you imagine these days never visiting a big city? He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things... One usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone. And today, despite all these things, and you know the punchlines here, he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of humankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man on earth as much as that one solitary life. And I want to say today, I believe the point that the poem is trying to convey. That the significance of Jesus is the most significant thing that there is. The influence of Jesus is the most important influence in the world. And sometimes on the surface, to us right now, it doesn't seem like it's so significant. But he is working. He is doing things. And he's working in us. Sometimes we think, oh God, what are you doing through our church? Really? And I think, God, if he could just answer us in a way that we could verbally hear would say more than you could possibly imagine. And I want to do so much more than what you could possibly imagine because that's the way he works. And there is good soil out there and he can sow seed where there is good soil and positive things will happen because he does. Months ago, Jeff Holmgren and I were talking about the history of our church. Jeff was talking about having grown up here and talking about how when we first moved to this building and it was the plan of many, I wasn't here then of course, but it was the plan of many that the church would have a significant impact on the Northeast. 
And Jeff described how there was some door knocking that took place. People went out. There were different things happening. Some good things happened. But I think Jeff would say, when I reflect on all of that, the results of it all weren't quite what I had in mind. They weren't all that we had hoped for. And he went on to say, I think this has been hard on us, hard on us as a church to know that things haven't always done exactly what we thought they would do. Sometimes we preach and teach and serve without seeing all the fruit we want to see. Currently, church attendance as a percentage of the population in Canada is shrinking and we want it to go up. But as a nation, it's going down. Currently, we lose a huge percentage of our young people to the world. Currently, marriage is having less impact on our society. And marriages are so unstable compared to what they used to be. Currently, the average church baptizes between one and three persons from the world per year. Currently, the fastest growing faith in North America, albeit largely because of immigration, is Islam. Families are busier than they used to be. There are numerous distractions. It is hard sometimes to get people to be able to devote themselves to the work of the church. And it isn't just the distractions, but it's just the uphill battle that we wage for Christ on a daily basis that impact us. And so I want to say this morning to our young families. So if you're a young family, I want you to hear this. And I want to say to our young people, if you're a young person, I want you to hear this. There are wonderful reasons for not being discouraged about what God is doing through the church that we can't see. And the number one thing is, is that he is constantly out there sowing and ready to sow on good soil. And yes, sometimes the seed is going to fall where we don't want it to fall. It's not going to be as productive. But he says it will be productive in cases. We have to open our eyes to what God wants to do through us as he sows his seed. There's this story in 2 Kings 6. It says, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, who was Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? They assumed that somebody had betrayed him. None of us, my lord king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, he said to Elisha, what shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. And listen to these words. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The poem, The One Solitary 
life speaks a truth. It's a truth that Jesus speaks about the kingdom in this parable. Not everyone will respond. Many may not respond. In fact, you could say, narrow is the road that leads to life. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. You could say that. And so it looks like at times we're not making the progress we want to make, but God is constantly there. We want to say that we're going to focus on reaching out to the world. Not for a moment should we have any hesitancy. Not for a moment should we think, oh, this will be another one of our not-so-effective efforts. And people have said that. Boy, what if we get all excited about this discipleship thing that we keep wanting to do, and we talk about how we're going to get a new mission statement, and we're going to really go out and do this, and what if it's not as effective as we want it to be? You tell me the alternative. Maybe we should just back off and choose to not do anything. Because somehow we're afraid that this time God won't bless us. Oh, what a tragedy that would be. What a tragedy. That'd be like the farmer saying, because sometimes it falls on thorny ground and sometimes it falls on the path and sometimes the birds of the air take it and the sun comes out and scorches it. I don't think I'll be sowing any seed this year. And they'd miss all that wonderful raising of crops on the great soil as God blesses them. And we need to be willing also to sow the seed with confidence and faith. We have the promise of Jesus. The seed will fall on good soil. And so, man, if I am... 32, and I've got a couple of little kids, and I'm on my way to the rest of my life as an adult, I want to very much put myself behind the work that God is doing among us. And if I'm 19, and I'm thinking, how am I going to spend the rest of my life? Spend it serving the Lord. And I promise you that some seed that you sow is going to fall on good soil. You're going to sow seed. It's going to go on good soil. And God is going to bless you. And I just don't see how we as a church have any other course than to trust the Lord that he's going to raise up 30-fold, 60-fold, a hundredfold. Because that's just what he does. Let's pray. God instill in us confidence in the propagation of your kingdom. Instill in us confidence, God, about the growth that can take place as you, through your word, plant seeds in our world. Instill in us, Father, the desire to work for you. Now, God, we recognize there are some times when we aren't good soil ourselves. We, we do allow things to distract us. There are ways, Father, in which we 
we allow the sun to come and scorch out the seed planted even within us. But we have so much confidence, Lord, in you. That you keep working. That you keep doing things. You keep growth taking place. Because there's good soil there that you plant your seed in. And so there are reasons to hope. And we, we want so badly, God, not just to be hopeful, but to be effective for you. And so work within us the truth of this parable and the truth of the kingdom. And live with us in, in us in such a way that the kingdom flourishes among us. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, please. <laughs>